for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transformed us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. That's our theme verse from Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Associate Care Pastor Josh Masters begins a new series called I Am. This week's episode, I Am Rescued. For this week's spiritual practice, read a passage from the daily readings each day. As you reflect on the Bible verses, ask God, what are you saying about who I am? Then complete this sentence. God says I am with what he says about you. If you want to watch the video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through our message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org watch or download the Brookwood Church app. We pray today's message encourages you with your walk with Christ. I want us to think about those lyrics for just a moment. You are not hidden. There's never been a moment you were forgotten. You are not hopeless. God says, I will be your shelter. I will be your armor in the middle of the darkest night. I will rescue you. Now those are song lyrics not scripture, but that's exactly who God is. And that's exactly how God sees you. To God, you are worth pursuing. You are worth defending. You are worth rescuing. Yet many of us in the church, in this room, many of us continue to live our lives under the weight of how others see us and live our lives under the weight of what our past says about us. But what if, what if we lived in the truth of how God sees us? What if we lived every day as if we've been rescued for a purpose? As if we're loved and significant and empowered by God to do great things? What if we lived like that? Those are the questions that we're going to ask in this new series on discovering my true identity. Now, in our last series, we spent the last five weeks looking at the life of Jonah. And Jonah's pride and selfishness derailed his relationship with God, and it dishonored the call that God had put on his life. Make no mistake, pride and selfishness are a cancer to the mission of the church. God is holy, God is in control, and we should live and serve with the humility of knowing that we are nothing compared to God. But that doesn't mean we're nothing to God. The fact that we are nothing before God doesn't mean we're nothing to him. Yes, pride and selfishness are a cancer in the church, but there is a more subtle cancer, a more subtle cancer in the church that prevents the body of Christ from fulfilling the mission and the purpose that God has for us, and that's identity, or more accurately, a lack of identity. 
See, the great tragedy of the church is that we continue to see ourselves through our eyes instead of through the eyes of God. Look at our artwork for this series. Many of us, when God calls us to do something great, we, are, we see ourselves like this little eye in the logo. Small and messy and scribbled out and insignificant. Listen, that might be who the world says you are. That might be what your past says you are. It might be what your family says you are. It might even be who you used to be. But when you are saved by Jesus Christ, that is not who you are. Listen, the chains, the chains of my past and the lies that this world tells me about me gives me a false understanding of who I am. But when my I am is rooted in the great I am, that is when my true identity and my true purpose is revealed. Is your I am rooted in the great I am? Over the next few weeks, that was just the introduction. Over the next few weeks, we're going to want to strip away anything that we believe about who we are that doesn't come from God. Because if Christ calls you his own, then you are rescued and you are loved and you are significant. And we're going to look at what it means to be loved by God and made significant by God in the coming weeks. But today we want to focus on this. I am rescued. That's the beginning of all of it. I am rescued. You cannot live a life of insignificance if you truly experience Christ's rescue and what it says about who you are. Many of us know that God has rescued us. We know it intellectually. But we feel detached from what that really means and what it says about us. You know, when I, when I was a kid, I was riding in a van, one of those old family vans with my uncle and my aunt and my cousins. And my uncle was a volunteer firefighter. And we were driving in the van, I don't remember where we were going, but we came across a house that was on fire and there were no fire trucks there, no one had responded yet, but the house was on fire. And I watched my uncle wearing a t-shirt and jeans jump out of the van, grab some gear from the back of the van, and run into a burning building. And that left an impression on me. He left the safety of the van, the safety of his family who loved him, because someone needed rescue. Now, sometimes later, a couple years later, I was visiting my Nana. Do you have Nanas here or just Mimi's? Okay. I was visiting my Nana who lived across the street from my uncle and there was a chimney fire and his house caught on fire with his family inside. Now as heroic as that first incident was, in his gut, how much more motivated do you think he was? How much more desperate do you think he was to get the ones he loved out of the fire? 
how motivated would you be? Now, now imagine how motivated Christ was to get his loved ones out of the fire. One of my favorite passages, probably my favorite passage in the Bible comes from Philippians 2, starting in verse 6. Listen, listen to the words. Though Jesus was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to or hold on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on the cross. We can read that and say that's the gospel, but don't miss how important that should be to our everyday lives. Jesus is the great I am. He is the voice in the burning bush. Through him, everything was created. And Jesus was not only in the safety of the heavenly realm with his loved ones and with his family, but he was surrounded by angelic beings that worshipped him and adored him and fell at their knees before him. But when he looked at the danger you were in, the gulf that was between him and you, when he saw that you were lost and you were broken and you were hurting and that you had no way to get to him, he looked at all the glory of heaven He looked at all the angelic beings who fell in worship before him. He looked at the glory and the worship, and he said, I will give all of this up for a time. I will give up my divine privileges. I will become a slave. I will be tortured. I will die, and I will do that to rescue you. I will do that so I can bring you home safely. Christ's sacrifice was a rescue mission. He rescued us to live in the hope and the purpose of his glory. Look at Colossians chapter one, it's up on the screen. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light, people who live in the light, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Remember that. He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness so we could have life in the light. So those who live in the light, those who are followers of Christ, are called to a life of power and influence and endurance and hope. But so many believers, so many of us, live like they were accidentally rescued, like they got caught up in the net 
of others being rescued. No. God sees you. God saves you. God chooses you. Do we live in the light of what that says about who we are? Or do we live in the darkness of what we've been labeled by our circumstances? And our answer to that question affects more than ourselves. There's more than ourselves at stake because we're not only called to be people who live in the light, we are called to be people who reflect the light. Our rescue should be a signal of hope for those who are still in the fire. But the truth is, many of us don't believe, not deep down inside, many of us believe that we don't have enough value to be part of God's ongoing rescue mission. So we have to ask ourselves, what does God's rescue of me, me personally and individually say about who I am? The kingdom of darkness says, the kingdom of darkness that we read about says that my past is too horrific for me to be used by God. The kingdom of darkness says that I am damaged, that I'm too damaged to be in relationship with God. But Christ's rescue says, I'm forgiven. I'm not damaged. I'm forgiven. And I know that any Sunday school kid can probably tell you that. In fact, sometimes they have a better time of understanding it than we do. Why did Christ die on the cross? Christ died on the cross to save our sins. We all know the answer to the question. We know it intellectually. We know it theologically. Do you know it internally? Do we live in our forgiveness? Here's a question. What is the enemy's greatest weapon? What do you think? What? Lies. Doubt. Busyness. Oh, that's a good one. Fear. Those are all weapons. He uses all of those. And temptation. But temptation is not his greatest weapon. Fear is not his greatest weapon. Busyness is not his greatest weapon. It's shame. Shame is his greatest weapon. He uses temptation. He uses busyness. He uses lies to bring us to a place of shame. Do you know why? Because shame is an identity. Shame is a false identity that prevents us from grabbing hold of the identity that we have in Jesus Christ. Yes, the Holy Spirit will convict us of our sins, but that's not the same thing. Conviction and shame are not the same thing. In fact, they're opposites. Conviction from the Holy Spirit says, I have done something awful. So I have to turn to my heavenly father. Shame says I am awful. 
so there is no way for me to turn to my father. Shame is rooted in condemnation, but conviction is rooted in forgiveness. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit convicts believers so that we can experience forgiveness. Forgiveness and not condemnation. Look at Romans chapter 8. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. See, if the enemy can keep our identity rooted in shame, then we'll believe that our sin still has power over us, and it doesn't. If he can keep us rooted in shame, that is what prevents us from believing we can do great things that God calls us to do. It prevents us, that is what prevents us from trusting God's promises. It prevents us from believing that we can overcome our past. So why does the enemy want to do that? Because if we've been rescued, if we're saved, he can't take that away from us. So why does he keep heaping on the shame and heaping on the shame and heaping on the shame? It's because it keeps us from pursuing the purpose and the mission God has for us. It prevents us from being that light to others who are still in danger. And if we keep convicting ourselves of the sins that Jesus Christ has already forgiven, they will never see who we are in Christ. And it makes it so easy for us to convict others of their sin when we're still convicting ourselves of ours. Think about it. If there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, if that's no longer part of our life, if that should not be on our radar, then why is it so easy for followers of Christ to condemn others? Why are so many Christians living the life of Jonah, a life where seeing others punished is more satisfying than seeing them saved? It's because we don't understand our own forgiveness. Listen, if you are talking to someone in person or you are on social media and you are tearing down and condemning the other side, you don't understand your forgiveness. We hold on to our shame and then we heap it onto other people. We condemn ourselves and we condemn others because his forgiveness doesn't feel real to us. We haven't reflected on what we've been rescued from. We haven't quietly meditated again and again on the forgiveness God has given us and what that says about who we are. We're going to talk a lot about those two words I just used during this series, reflection and meditation. Meditation. Because we have to move past knowing who God says that we are and start experiencing it. 
If we are going to do all the thing God has called us to do as individuals and as a church, and I can tell you that I believe that God wants to do great things through Brookwood Church that will change our community and bring people into the kingdom, things that we haven't imagined yet. But if we're going to do that, we need to go beyond studying what God says about us and start believing it. And now when I say the word meditation, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about the kind of Eastern meditation that tells you to empty your mind. On the contrary, biblical meditation is about filling your mind with what God says so that there's no more room for the emptiness that is in the world. But that requires us to do more than just read God's word, which is good, of course. That's where we start. But we need to go beyond that. It requires us to meditate on his word. We need to communicate with God through his word. And the spiritual practice that is in our outline discussion guide for this series is going to help us with that. You can get it on the Brookwood app or you can get it on the website. I want to take just a moment to talk about it since this is the first week in the series. But you can print it. You can do it on the app. Some of you have already printed it. Looks like this. Every day, there's going to be a short Bible reading about who God says that you are. And as you read those passages, don't rush through them. Don't just read them and check the box. Reflect on the individual words. Think through the individual words. Think through the individual phrases. Sit quietly and ask God, what are you saying about who I am? Experience the words, the individual words. Expect an encounter with God in the silence. And you know what? This isn't in the actual instructions, but I'll say this. If you need to do the same reading over and over and over for several days or several weeks, that is fine. If you need to stay on the verse about forgiveness for a week, that is fine. Keep asking God. Keep meditating on that one passage until it feels true, not intellectually, but in your heart. Because that thin line between knowledge and belief is the difference between living in shame and living in victory. Living in the truth of God's forgiveness brings victory. Victory over the struggles of my past. Victory over what the world says about me. Victory to do great things for God. Victory for my desire to be different. Learn to say, I may not be perfect, but I am forgiven. Because that forgiveness is what allows us to be transformed. The darkness says, I can never change. But Christ's rescue says, I'm made new. I am made new. The identity of shame that we carry keeps us from believing that we can be anything different than we have ever been. That we can only be a disappointment to God. Don't raise your hands. But how many people in this room have felt like the person that you are is a disappointment to God? 
How many of you feel that way right now? It's a lie. Listen to me very carefully. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, God no longer sees the shame of your past. He sees the glory of your rescue. Christ's rescue and his forgiveness means that I am made new. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. I am not the person I used to be. You are not the person you used to be. That guy doesn't exist anymore. So why do you keep trying to find him and put him back on trial when he has been acquitted? I think it's because we don't see how it's possible. We don't think it's possible that we're made new because I'm still in this short, stout little body with an overbite. I keep asking them in the back to only use the camera angles that look, make me look tall and good looking, but they haven't found them yet. Right? I'm still in this imperfect body. And forgiven or not, I still have the same past, right? So how is it even possible that I am a new creation? I don't feel or look like a new creation. Well, that's a good question. And it's an important question. One that needs an answer. Because, catch this, this is important. If you feel like the old you, if I feel like the old me, I will behave like the old me. So you want the answer? The answer to the question is in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this short God, you only need, I, I'm not that good looking. You don't need to see me. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this short, stout, little, earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ's death was the means of our rescue. And when you live in the promises of God, when you are forgiven, then everything that was wrong with you before was crucified along with Christ. It is left in the fire. So in his death, we lose our ability to disqualify ourselves. We lose the right to say, I am not enough. Because in his resurrection, we are resurrected to a new life and a new purpose and a new identity. And there it is. That is the key. Our identity is in not who we're becoming, 
but our identity is in who Christ is in us. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the identity we can't find out in the world because it's impossible to find in the world. Listen, all these struggles of identity, all these identity crises that we have, it's because God has placed a consuming desire in every heart to know our true identity. We're desperate to know who we are. We are desperate to belong. And when we don't find the answer in the truth of this verse, we will grab hold of it wherever we can. The brokenness of our country the brokenness of this world. You know what? The brokenness in this church are rooted in an identity crisis. Our identity is not in our job title. Our identity is not in our talents. It's not in our race. It's not in our political party. It's not in our gender. Make no mistake, those things are important because they make us unique. They give us the opportunity to serve in ways that no one else can, that God has set up for us. Those things are important, but they are not who we are. They are not the things that bring us value. The church looks like the rest of the world because we take on the identity of the rest of the world. We just put a spiritual coat over it. But you are made new on the inside through Christ to be a light of hope to those who are desperate to find the very thing that we're not really grabbing hold of. A new life, a new hope, real purpose, real belonging. And as long as we keep pouring all of our energy into defending the the identity that this world says we should have, they will never see the hope of the identity that Christ has given us. We will all find our identity in something other than ourselves. Every person grabs hold of an identity that comes from outside oneself. It's not I who live, but my Facebook followers who live in me. It's not I who live, but it's Trump or Biden who live in me. It's not I who live, but my title who lives in me. Ready for this one? It's not I who live, but it's my place in the church that lives in me. God has rescued us and forgiven us and made us new for a purpose so much greater than that. The verse that we read in 2 Corinthians said, the old life is gone and the new life has begun. And I think that we struggle to grab hold of that new life for two reasons. Number one, we don't believe that we're worthy to be made new. That's the shame. That's the shame that we talked about. But the second is that we don't meditate and we don't reflect on so we don't understand the cost of what that new life cost and what that says about who we are. Because the darkness says, I have no value. 
but the rescue of me by Christ says, I am redeemed. I am redeemed. Now, the, the word redeemed, it sounds churchy, right? I, I didn't really want to use that word because it sounds churchy, but it's the right word. But the only place I've ever heard it regularly used outside of church is when I was a little kid and um, little five-year-old Joshy would have his red wagon and he would walk with his mom to the redemption center where we would redeem soda cans and bottles to get money, right? Do they still do that? No. Jevy Lynn says yes. Jody says no. I don't know. But check this out. We would take these empty cans that other people had thrown away and redeem them for money. It took something that was trash and gave it value. The definition from Oxford for redeemed is this. To compensate for the faults or bad aspects of something. To gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. Christ did both. And the payment was steep. The word redeemed literally means purchased. It means a ransom was paid. A debt was canceled. Look at this verse that's coming up on the screen. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which loses their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. How many of us in this room or watching at home in our online campus, how many of us still feel like we're living the empty lives of our ancestors? Because the things the world tells us to find our identity in will always lead to that emptiness. Always. That's why everyone is so angry in our culture. I've, I've grabbed hold, I've grabbed hold of this false identity, but I still feel empty. And if you take that away from me, if you pry that away from me, I will be nothing, I will be worth nothing. So I have to attack and I have to destroy anyone who threatens that identity. But when your identity is in Jesus Christ, no one can take it away and you can have peace instead of anger. But this emptiness, this emptiness is the source of all the anger in our country. It all comes back to identity. It all comes back to anger because fleshly anger is always a cover for hurt or fear. Always. And our fear is that when everything is stripped away, we have no value. The reason that we fall victim to the false identities of this world is because we try to find our value in the same places the world looks. The whole time believing that we are just empty cans, 
trash because we can't live up to the expectations. We can't live up to the expectations that this false identity puts on us. The world says you were a mistake. You are a happenstance. So the only value you can have is in what you do. But God says, you are not a mistake. I made you in my image. And your value is not in what you do. It's in what I've already done. Listen, the most priceless paintings in the world, the ones hanging in the Louvre, are only worth a few dollars in materials. There's nothing special about what they're made of. There are only two things that make a priceless painting valuable. Number one, who created them? Who signed the painting? And number two, what someone's willing to pay. That's what makes them valuable. And your value isn't based on the raw materials that make you up. They are not based on what they do or what you do. Your value is based on who created you and what someone was willing to pay. And what was that price? The father gave his one and only son so that when you believe in him, you would not perish, but have eternal life. And Jesus Christ willingly surrendered his own body. That is an incredible price to pay. And it makes you incredibly valuable. Though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and he was born a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to the Father and he died a criminal's death on the cross. With his own blood, not the blood of goats or calves, with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Listen, if we, if we could grab hold of our redemption, if we could really focus on finding our value and our identity in that, then the church would be unstoppable. Our church would be an unstoppable force of compassion and love and hope to the community and eventually to this nation and to the whole world. But we have to stop rejecting who God says we are. We have to stop fighting a fight that's already won. Listen, maybe, maybe you've been a follower of Christ for years. But right now, all you can see is the struggle. 
Let this song be your prayer of renewal. Or maybe, maybe you've never been a follower of Christ. Maybe for you this song can be your first prayer in accepting a new life, a new identity. Brookwood, this is the beginning. This is where we start stepping into the greater calling God has for us. The next revival of this nation has to start in the church. And that revival will come when we stop living in what our past says about us and start living in what the victory of Jesus Christ says about us. The darkness says I am not worth coming after. But I am rescued. I am forgiven. I am made new. And I am redeemed. Let's pray with hope. One final verse. God paid a high price for you. So you don't have to be enslaved by the world. You do not need to believe what this world says about you. You don't have to be who you used to be. So whether you need renewal or you're feeling drawn to God's rescue for the very first time, we want to encourage one another. We want to encourage you. We will have care volunteers and pastors down front and in the care connection room. If you're here in the room, they want to pray with you. They want to encourage you. If you're in our online campus, just click request prayer so that we can connect with you. Let's shake off these heavy chains and start living by who God says we are. Let's pray. Father God, you are worthy of praise. You are worthy of glory. And that you would look at me, me, and say, I want to rescue him. I want to forgive him. I want to make him new. I want to give him value. Lord, I don't know that we can fully comprehend it, but I pray that you would teach us how to live it. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our rescuer, who walked into the fire to pull us out. Amen. Thank you for coming. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transformed us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. 
One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.